Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. UFO Week continues with Keith Arem, a director of video games who directed a film about a very famous UFO incident, The Phoenix Lights. But his feature was called The Phoenix Incident. The Phoenix Incident is a fictionalized film that combines documentary and found footage techniques to tell this filmmaker's interpretation of the story from video game director Keith Arem, who makes his feature film debut with this particular film. I chatted with him in early April, and part of it appeared on one of my Time Capsule episodes, but here is the complete interview on the Phoenix Incident. Very interesting. I've, I've kind of always been kind of an amateur UFOlogist. Not that I did any investigating, but I actually had an experience when I lived in New Mexico. And oh, wow. I mean, I drove by White Sands, and there's definitely something going on there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we actually had an incident where I went with a friend, and we visited some other friends, and their house was kind of a little further away from the town where I used to live in when I was broke into radio many years ago. And there was these essentially like three lights that just kind of hovered there for like minutes. And it was definitely, it could have been nothing but aircraft. It just sat there. I mean, I don't know the origin, but it was definitely unidentified, so that makes it a UFO. But, right. But it Especially, was... Especially, you know, in the Southwest, there's so many... Oh, you know, my God. There's so much stuff, you know, and so, you know, even if 99% of it was military, you know, there's that 1% that just doesn't fit in, and it's... Uh, there's some really interesting things. We met with so many thousands of people with different mm. sightings, and it's just amazing because they're not, you know, they're people who are educated people who are not trying to get fame out of it. They're just really want to know what they saw. And it's, uh, it's, and it's consistent, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not like, oh, well, this was some weird little green man. And then this was this thing. They're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's when you really realize that there's something going on. There is more sci-fi talk. So stay tuned. Now, this is a very famous case, the Phoenix Lights. I mean, I follow this. I've seen a few documentaries on this. Yeah. And this is kind of like your take on what could have happened kind Correct. of thing. Yeah, because there's so many documentaries that have happened uh, specifically about it, and, and a lot of people know about it, but there's a, there's a whole generation of people that are sort of growing up who were either born after the lights or just had no understanding of, of what everything was happening during that time, and, and not just the Phoenix Lights itself, but all the other sort of conspiracy theories and other events that were taking place back in 97. So what we decided to do is rather than do another documentary, which not only had been done, but also doesn't really get theatrical attention or any kind of release, and, and for me being my first film, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So we decided to make this new hybrid that was sort of a cross between like District 9 and Blair Witch where we're taking authentic real material and doing this docu-thriller approach where we could bring out all of these eyewitness accounts and all these military accounts and all these political accounts of what was going on mm-hmm. and then bend it into this sort of what-if story. And, and that's really inspiring a whole new generation of people who maybe were not around or were, were more influenced by like video games and other things to start to explore this topic and uh, and become more like you know people like yourself where you know they're they're interested in the subject they may not know everything but it it inspires them to now go and do the real research and, and that's what we're hoping and speaking of which I'm sure you had to do some for this movie and kind of get like a timeline of the events and that kind of thing 
Oh yeah, we met with almost a thousand eyewitnesses, wow. and uh, and we shot it in Phoenix. Mm. Uh, I grew up in Arizona, so we we went back to the Estrella Mountains and South Mountain, and we tracked the the path of where the lights were. We met with uh, MUFON officials. We met with political leaders. We met with the vice, the for, former vice mayor. We met with. Uh, I had a lot of military consultants because I work on a lot of big video games and met with uh, actual military uh, people who claimed that they had either witnessed them or their their men had witnessed the event. And wow. some of these guys had scrambled jets to intercept these lights. It was an event. It mm. really was. It was something that happened that night, and it spooked a lot of people. Yeah. Now, did you take this as a found footage kind of an approach to this movie? The problem for me is is, is that I've, there's a number of found footage films that yeah. have been out that have sort of, you know, used the, the the traditional methods of you know you've got a cameraman out in the woods seeing something and 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 while that is authentic and, and video games use that and and real footage on YouTube or anywhere else would be that. We wanted to have that real element of that, but I think that there's so many found footage films that have kind of used that too much. Yeah. So that's why we kind of took this documentary approach where the idea was that this mm. was this government whistleblower that's coming forward with this information based on this real testimony that we were getting and then sort of bringing that into the footage of these guys. So by the end, it does have that found footage element and that's, and that when we tested the movie, we found that those audience really really enjoyed that type of experience, even though that's not for everyone. Right. Um, but what that did was is that that kind of reinvented the found footage uh, genre. So for people who were saying, you know, if you're running from aliens, you just drop the camera and you run. We wanted to create, you know, a, a different type of experience where the way these guys were recording it and the way we're experiencing it as an audience is that we're bringing together other footage from military sources, from actual eyewitness uh, sources, mm, from wow. news sources. Um, and you see movies like Catfish, where there are these multimedia experiences where you're getting stuff from the internet and then stuff from actual surveillance cameras and then other articles and then these different reports. And so a documentarian has the ability to do that, whereas in a traditional found footage movie, you can't. Yeah. So, so even though, given the budget that our film was, because our film was a pretty low-budget film and we were only about you know, $1.3 million dollars, Compared to you know 150 million dollar Independence Day, there's no way sure. that you know our film next to an Independence Day, you know, you know budget wise, is going to be able to deliver on the same level of you know visual effects and other things. But what we can do is present a very intriguing viral idea to really get people talking about this subject. And whereas a documentary wouldn't be able to do that, a television show wouldn't be able to do this. It wouldn't be on the news. We figured using the theatrical motion picture would be the best way to explore that. But sometimes less is actually better than more because when you get that kind of money, you tend to overspend and do a lot more. (laughs) So uh, by not having it, you know, I I think the original Star Trek did it the best because they weren't so high budgeted. They had to concentrate on other things. To right. make it believable, you know, like the story and things like that. So, absolutely, it's it could be actually a, a good thing rather than a bad thing, you know. Then it, it, exactly, and I think some people, we, you know, they'll see the found footage, and people don't like some. Some people don't like found footage movies, so they'll they'll take that at face value, and they'll say, well, they've got shaky camera, they've got this, and and that movie is just going to be that way. But when you actually look at the at the story and the evidence that we found, and the stuff that we presented into it, and the way we're structuring the movie, it actually is 
generating a lot of really great interest. And, and it's nice because we see our traffic. You know, we, we did a very elaborate viral campaign with the movie and we started to release footage almost two years before the movie was even out. And we shot four oh, cool. hours of material around the movie and related, you know, uh, released related military footage and simulated things of what happened that night with the military. And it's generated over 20 million views worldwide. Nice. So nice. that we started to realize was the, the real message was that we are inspiring this audience to, to really say, what if, what if something really happened that night? And is there a possibility that we're not alone and that our military did cover up some kind of exchange? And why aren't we being told the truth? That viral campaign started to take these different what we call threads, and we had missing person sites, and we had uh, UFO sites, and we had news sites, and we had cult sites, and all of these different sites uh, not only generated attention from the from the audience, but also from the from the, the government. We had the Department of Justice threaten <laughs> us over one of our sites because they thought one of our sites uh, we were trying to uh, tr- use the public's help to as bounty hunters to track down these missing men from our movie, and we were threatened with imprisonment and fines from the government because they thought our sites were real. And so we realized that our, our campaign was really resonating with a lot of people because the message of the movie is that we want disclosure. And it's not just this horror movie. It's not just this found footage thing. It's not just this documentary. But it's actually a film that's that's inspiring people to get online and question what they've heard, what they've read, what they've seen, mm-hmm. and start to look into the events and say, well, this doesn't add up. You know, if this really happened and 30,000 people witnessed this, then how can 30,000 people all consistently say the same thing and all be wrong? Yeah. You know? Yep. And even the governor of the state comes out and agrees with them and says he saw the same thing. So, you know, whether that's politics, whether that's, you know, mass hysteria, whether that's, you know, something that's that's going on is up for debate. But I've met with over a thousand of them and they all say the same thing. And that's and to me, that's that's proof in itself, you know, and, and, and something definitely happened. And maybe maybe we don't know. But that's why the film presents this what if story, because I think that when it comes to the UFO community, everyone has their own opinion about the intent and, mm-hmm. and, and, and what these these craft mean or what they look like or what they're trying to do or what they're trying to tell us. And I don't think anyone can definitively say that. So my feeling is, is I would rather inspire the audience to look look into the facts look into the mysteries mm-hmm. and and start to question you know what they are and 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 make it a a topic that that gets addressed as opposed to something that we just allow the government to to say oh there's nothing happening don't don't bother looking up it's a blessing that you can get these these guys the guys who that did the special effects and designing the dragons for game of thrones to do right. your effects yeah i mean i mean talk about something literally falling into your lap that's that's a blessing yeah they loved the script and and when i wrote the original script we we really didn't intend to show the aliens in the movie not because we didn't want to it was just that we knew that on, on a million dollar budget there's no way we were going to be able to do convincing aliens that would integrate into the story so there was only one or two scenes from the film that were actually intended to to show anything that would be even remotely proof of the aliens and and uh when the guys from baked effects came on board and started to to create these uh aliens with us 
we were blown away because we thought that we were going to have to do crazy things physically and, and, you know, everyone has seen bad CG in movies and oh, yeah. it stands out a lot. And here we are on a very low budget film and having very big aspirations for, for doing these, these, you know, these alien shots. They just did this remarkable job of integrating that into, you know, what arguably is this, you know, this, this found footage. And that, I think that's what also elevates the movie a, a lot because we're intentionally not just focusing and showing these big alien scenes, although you do get some good glimpses of them throughout the film. It's just trying to change people's expectations of, of what they're seeing and, and, and being able to, to do that as a filmmaker, aside from just my interest in the subject, mm-hmm. but just being able to work with great people to be able to bring a vision to life is, uh, is just a, a very rewarding experience. And I was very grateful for them to do that. Speaking of great people, one of my favorite, he's really known for doing really great voices, and he does a spot on Kevin Conroy as Batman. It's Troy Baker, who's in your film, and it's good to see him on camera for a change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But talk about this cast. Uh, It it looks like, you know, besides Troy, you've assembled some good people for this. Yeah, and, and, you know, for me as a a first-time film director, I've been directing video games and, and specifically on the talent side for almost 20 years. And you work with these remarkable actors that are conveying these intense emotions and these great voices and these powerful performances, but they're doing motion capture or facial capture or ADR or voiceover in a video game. And I don't consider them necessarily voice actors, but just actors. Right. And in right. and, and creating this film, if I brought in some some of my friends like, you know, Sam Worthington or, or Idris Elba or other actors that I've had the honor to work with on big video games, that instantly says Hollywood movie. And because this film is this, you know, this blurring the lines between fact and fiction, if I brought in a very well-known uh, on-camera actor, it would say to the audience, this is Hollywood. And so what I wanted to do was surround myself with with very powerful actors that are uh, my go-to guys that I've worked with for years and have them be part of this world where people might not know what they look like, but they they appreciate the performances. And arguably, when we started the film, uh, their careers weren't as big as they are now. I mean, now you look at Troy and Yuri and everyone's careers are (laughs) exploding, which is fantastic. Um, And we kind of had to sort of give that that nod to the audience that, uh, you know, that we are using actors in our film because as we started this, you know, we, we actually, no one, actually everyone had been under contract, not even to announce that they were involved in the film because of this reality and these missing person sites and everything that we did. And, and what's amazing is, is that even when people walk out of the theater, one of the big things that we get is people are like, wow, these guys did such a great job portraying the original guys. <laughs> and uh, and they didn't even realize that we had manufactured the guys. And even the, the actors that played the family members of our guys were convinced when they came in to shoot the movie that they were portraying the real families of these missing guys. Uh-huh. And they had found all of our viral campaign online and uh, really believed that these these guys were really missing. And And even after the fact, people who knew that they were manufactured, they still thought that they were portraying people that were had been missing. So it was a, it's a very powerful message when when you know people are influenced by that emotionally mm-hmm. uh, by these performances and by these actors that are 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 you know building these these uh 
elaborate histories for these characters. And that's why working with Troy and Yuri and Travis and Liam and Michael Adamthwaite, who plays Gason, they're all based on real people. Right, um, and yeah. even though we manufactured them for the film, they were inspired by actual cases and other people that were there. I, I knew that these guys had great relationships with each other. And, uh, and I had known working with them for years. So I was very, you know, leaning on them being who they were in a very natural sense. And you get this, you can see it on camera and you see this camaraderie between them, this natural sort of playfulness that's not manufactured. It's, it's, that's who they are. And, uh, and I really appreciated that in bringing that to this picture because I think that that really resonates with the audience and especially people who not only play video games and, and like them as performers, but just also identify these as guys. You know, there are people who, you know, never leave their hometown and, and always have these, these aspirations of, of being greater than, than what they've achieved. And yet they're stuck in, you know, the place where they grew up and they don't know how to get out of it. And, uh, and so I think that that really grounded our characters and, and, uh, I, I felt that a lot of, Films in this genre or this size don't really do a lot of character development. No, and usually you, not. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to heavy hand that. Um, but at the same time, you want enough that you really care about these guys. And and to that effect, our viral campaign really explores that. And and if you find the Lauder case online and you start to look at AmericanCrimes.tv and KWBV News and some of these other sites that we've created, you start to see their family stories and, and other people and, and why some of the events unfold with these guys in the movie the way they do. And from a storytelling perspective, it's great to, to get into the lives of these men. It might not be appropriate for the motion picture itself just because it would just extend the length of the movie uh, unnecessarily long, but it is great for audiences who love these characters and 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 uh, and also love these actors because you get to see much more of what they do, and it's it's uh, it's great to watch. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. Now, as far as how it's available, is it I, I, is it on Amazon at this point, that where people can get it on Prime? Yeah, so we're we're coming out theatrically first. So okay. we, uh, so on uh, a few weeks ago, we did a 200 city launch with Fathom Events, and that oh, was nice. a one night event where we uh, showed both the film and a bonus documentary called Full Disclosure, which was a roundtable discussion with some of the top UFO experts in the world, like nice. Stanton Friedman and oh, Nick wow. Pope and Alejandro Rojas and Lee Spiegel, and. Now, uh, we're coming out theatrically wide on April 8th, and so next Friday we're coming out in theaters, um, and then we're also doing what's known as day and date, so we're coming out on all transactional platforms for video on demand. Nice. So that's gonna be our first launch, and that's coming out nationwide, and we're starting on, in 13, uh, cities to begin with, and then that will continue to expand. Then we're gonna continue to tour with the film, and uh, and then we'll come out on Amazon. We'll come out on uh, Netflix, Hulu, all of the over-the-top um, platforms, mm-hmm. and then eventually we'll also be out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, as well as uh, this unique app that we're developing, which is a a really interesting interactive version of the film that includes the entire four-hour viral campaign plus the movie, plus all of the sites and all the material wow. that we've been putting out over the past two years. And it allows you to, to sort of investigate it like a, almost like a real life X-Files where you can dive into this case and, and explore, uh, not just the events themselves, but the backstory and even the behind the scenes of how we made the movie. So we're excited to do that. We're going to continue to support that all the way through the summer. 
we're going to be doing a big event in Roswell, New Mexico, of all places. Of course. <laughs> we'll be doing their big celebration there at the beginning of July, and uh, and we'll be releasing more footage from the film and uh, announcing our plans for uh, sequel and prequel uh, parts to the film. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. You know, I have to credit you because you really uh, obviously have a good grasp on how to use the web you know, to, to promote and to kind of flesh out the film, create more backstories for people. And it, it really makes it a really full experience for the audience to uh, to relate to that and then to kind of know these characters a little more by the time they actually view the entire film. And that app, that that's that's amazing. That is really something cool where it really makes it a totally multimedia experience. It's amazing. And it's socially integrated as well. So, uh, you know, this day and age where... Uh, you know, everyone is online. They're all connected by their phones, by their tablets, by their, their, their home computers. Yeah. This allows you to have that entertainment experience, but also the research element of it and allows you to further the narrative of the movie. Not only, it's not really a choose your own adventure story, but it's more so as an investigation to say, I, I heard about this. And then if you click on that segment of the movie, now you can socially interact with other people who are watching the film and comment on it and contribute to the movie and even further the narrative yourself and become part of the community specifically just for the story and for this film. Wow. And and in my mind, you know, coming from the game industry and working on these games for so long, I love the interactivity of being able to change the narrative based on what I like. Some people love horror. Some people love documentaries. Some people love uh, educational projects. Some people love, you know, hearing roundtables. And I wanted the the ability for the audience to sort of mm-hmm. bend the narrative to what they like the most. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the motion picture experience is very much a linear perspective where you sit back, watch the movie, and and go for the thrill ride, but. If you're going to experience the app, this is something that you can actually change the story into something that makes it much more personal to you and uh, and focus on the parts of the story that are the most intriguing. That's exciting. That's real. I like stuff like that. That really that's cool. Yeah. I, I have to ask you, video games, directing them, that's got to be It's a, such a different way of telling a story because the person playing is going to affect uh, things, so you've got to create and you have to write different first you have to write different scenarios based on their choices so directing something like that that potentially sounds like it could be a nightmare you know it you're you're in video games you're frankensteining performances where, <laughs> and, and and that's a good and a bad thing because every part of a performance is manufactured right the the facial animation is manufactured the body is manufactured whether we're doing motion capture or facial capture or hand animation and the voice is brought in and uh, and and obviously the voice is is brought in in a, a number of different ways and so you're bringing together all the different aspects of this with the story with the other characters performances and making that all cohesive so and the amount of content that goes into games is astronomical compared to film or television so in some respects coming from video games i was used to this threshold of doing a tremendous amount of work and it's very rewarding because when you develop a skill set in video games 
it's hard to walk away from that. There's there's a joke uh, in the industry, uh, <laughs> E3, which happens every year, which sure. is entertainment electronic, you know, electronic entertainment expo. Um, it, the, the joke is you never leave the industry. You just change booths at E3. <laughs> and, and it's really true because guys go from company to company and come back again. And that's because that skill set you develop, you really learn how to tell stories in a nonlinear way. And what was a really fascinating uh, exercise for me was to focus on one story and tell that in a 90 minute experience as opposed to a 14 hour experience or an ongoing experience. For yeah. And, and you, you realize this appreciation for uh, amazing filmmakers and, and how they make films. And as a first time filmmaker, you're fighting so many things. You're fighting your, the environment, the, the process is different, getting these performances all in real time and not having the ability to manufacture them. You know, yeah. you can go back with special effects and ADR and other, you know, tools of the trade, but boy, it's a very visceral experience. And on a tight budget, you have to grab you know, everything while you're on set with those actors in costume, with the lighting, in makeup now. And if you don't, you're going to have to go back and do that all over again. Yeah. And, and so there is a craft that is so spectacular to, to making film and television. And that's something that I really felt was going to help grow my career as a director. And uh, after working in games for so long, I really wanted that experience and I treated this film as my film school. And, uh, and I think that's, that's helped me grow in a tremendous amount of ways because I think I've brought a lot of our, my experience from video games to the filmmaking process. And certainly the way we shot the movie, we integrated a lot of video game techniques, the way we recorded and dubbed and mixed the movie. We used a tremendous amount of video game techniques. Uh, we used, uh, video game camera techniques in doing it. And certainly now in distributing and marketing the film, we're working with Steam and Loot Crate and a lot of other really interesting game partners um, nice. to do interactive experiences like the app uh, or Shazam, where you know our audience can Shazam our poster and go to a secret sweepstakes page where we're going to give away a Celestron telescope and movie tickets with Fandango. So we're doing these really interesting promotions that are interactive, um, all from you know my experience in the game space, um, and hoping that that sort of helps spark the audience and the industry mm-hmm. to embrace a lot of the stuff that comes from the game industry uh, and bring it into this fantastic world of film. Because I, I do have to ask you one question about games because of, of what's coming up, you know, this Oculus Rift and, and also virtual reality, yep. it seems like that potentially could turn the industry on its ear. I mean, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, you know, have not done what they've expected. A lot of it was there were so many games done for the other, the earlier versions right. that people don't want to fork it all over again. But right. this right. one is seems like a really different experience, totally. Well, virtual reality is uh, something that's been with us for 20 years, more yeah. than that. But um, but now that the technology has advanced to the point that it really is a truly immersive experience, and it is so fascinating for people who haven't tried it, they they don't comprehend how fascinating it is until they actually put on one of these headsets and then put a pair of headphones on top of that. And the good and the bad of that is, is that you do not have a choice to leave that world unless you take off everything. (laughs) That's right. So in a movie, you can turn away or you can cover your ears or close your eyes. But in 
virtual reality, you can't. You are there and you are in this world. And whether that's a realistic flight simulator or a horror experience or underwater, you really are transformed into that space. And even if the graphics aren't the highest end or the sound isn't the best quality, you, you cannot help uh, you cannot escape from that world. So it is a very transformative medium. And the question will be, uh, how sustainable is that? Yeah. Because I'm working on 20 different VR projects right now. Wow. And, uh, and they are all equally engaging, spectacular, but they're short experiences. They're five minutes at most. They're 10 minutes at most. I don't know if an audience is going to be able to sit for two hours to watch a movie or 14 hours to play a video game in virtual reality where you have this thing strapped to your head. You know, it's, it's like us plugging into the matrix and, and suddenly, you yeah. know, being out of our bodies and somewhere else. And there will be people who will be totally fine with that. But I think that, that it is, it, it's going to be a very interesting road for the VR market to really find a way to monetize the experience mm. in a way that the audience will continually come back. Because if you're riding to the top of the wall in Game of Thrones or you're going underwater to be with a whale or you're going to be in a horror experience for a while, it's a great experience and, and as a promotional tool, it's spectacular. But to live and breathe in virtual reality for a sustained amount of time, it's going to need to grow and evolve to adapt to the way the audience can can grow into that because I think it, it is a big shock and it, and it's it is so immersive that I think a lot of the audience will um, need it to go in baby steps to get there so uh, I'm definitely uh, hooked by it but uh, I really want to see how it's going to grow with the audience and be part of that growth mm-hmm for this film, you mentioned some prequels and sequels. Is that what's next for you, or what, what's on your table next? So the next movie that I'm doing is a film called Frost Road, and it's actually a completely different uh, world and, and story. It's a script that I actually wrote before Phoenix, and it was meant to be my first film. And it's a much larger budget. It's about eight to ten times the size of what we had on Phoenix. And it's a, it's a thriller genre piece uh, that's all based on actual science and other things, but it's very much a narrative and it's going to be more of a traditional story than than a found footage or documentary style that I did with Phoenix. And that's part of my growth as a director. I have uh, about four very successful graphic novels that I've developed and those I'm intending to turn into film and television properties. So I'm starting to work on those, um, but because of the success of Phoenix already, and what we've already done with the film and the numbers that we've already uh, seen, um, that I'm currently writing the prequel story to Phoenix, which is actually different characters in a different world, but in the same uh, world, the same kind of uh, environment of what it is. Cool. It will be shot as a different kind of film. It'll also be a narrative. It won't be in the same format as Phoenix, um, but it'll have elements of the same world and, and uh, precursors to the story that happens in Phoenix. And it's all based on real events and, and actual sightings. Um, so that's sort of my goal is to, to turn the incident series into a franchise. And you'll see the Phoenix incident. You'll see the Belgium incident. You'll see the Roswell incident. You'll see other oh, nice. But take a much different approach to those stories, right, something right. that people haven't seen before. And, uh, and I, I love bringing a reality to fiction. I love having something based on reality and then say, what if? What if this didn't happen the way we thought it did? What if something changed? 
and uh, and I'm hoping that that uh, as a filmmaker I can sort of bring that reality um, and sort of a new twist to the the projects I work on. And uh, and as I start telling narrative stories on much larger budgets, mm-hmm. um, hopefully the audience will grow with that, and uh, and I'll have a, a style that people <laughs> will recognize um, as being something uh, different than some of the other films that are out there right now. Now, is there like a website to kind of get people launched? To, to like, I guess that branches off to the other sites as well. Yeah, so we have we have our viral sites and then we have our social sites for the movie. So um, the uh, the phoenixincident.com site, which is just phoenixincident.com, that is sort of our meta site, and there that um, that uh, has uh, behind the scenes. It talks about some of the festivals and the awards that we're winning, and and gives people trailers, and that's very much laying all our cards on the table, saying this is a movie, and and here's how you can experience. Um, uh, our film, but uh, if you start to look into uh, some of these sites, uh, specifically like AmericanCrimes.tv uh, or KWBVNews.com or MaricopaMissing.com, those are some of the sites that we've revealed that were part of our viral campaign that are now starting to uh, come more into focus giving away some of the backstory and other things that are there. We still have another dozen or so sites that uh, we have not publicly announced uh, just because we love keeping the fiction going and, and the audience that appreciates this are still finding all this material and actually some of it's coming out today and you'll you'll find things online that, that uh, is related to the campaign that people don't necessarily realize is tied to the film um, but uh, has already gained a lot of traction. So we love that type of unique storytelling because it's not a misinformation campaign. It's not right. a hoax the audience. The idea is not to insult the audience. The idea is to inspire the audience and say, Hey, what if? And did you hear this? And, and ultimately, when it ties back into the movie, they realize that it's a much bigger world, and, and that more of the film exists outside of the theater walls than inside. And I think, as a storyteller, I love the idea that the narrative isn't something that you just have to pay for, but it's just something you experience as part of life. And uh, and I think that people are very inspired by that when they uh, when they experience it. Yeah, it sounds great. That sounds really good. Best of luck with this. Uh, it's a, a cool thing, and I can't wait to see some of the others, in particular the Roswell incident, because uh, that's always been one of my favorite uh, incidents. Uh, I'd like to see what you do with that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. You take care, Keith, and best of luck to you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Check out phoenixincident.com for more information and its other sites. Look for the Phoenix Incident wherever you get your video content. And this is Tony Tolado. Thanks so much for listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Until next time.